May Day. This is a call to all you educators out there. It's time to shift our schools. Get into it. Welcome to uh, Shifting Our Schools podcast episode. What are we on? Six. Uh, yes, sir. Tonight's tonight we're here with Justin Hard uh, Justin Hardman from Hong Kong International School. How are you doing tonight, Justin? Are you there, Justin? Did we lose Justin? Hello. Hi. Oh, there you go. Hi. <laughs> Uh, so you can find Justin's blog at, let's see, Justin's blog is newworldnewschool.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's Good. correct, yeah. And uh, also, of course, David Carpenter's here from lessonslearns.edublog.org. And how are you doing tonight, David? Good Good evening, gentlemen. I was just talking to Dave Navas there at um, HKS and then Justin for a moment. It seems that we have a little situation going on in Hong Kong that brings out the technology in all of us, I think. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Yeah. So why don't you kind of frame, uh, David, why don't you go ahead and kind of frame what tonight's episode's about, and then, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording, and we'll have Justin fill us in on what's going down in Hong Kong, and uh, we can go ahead and get into it, because I think it relates very well to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Definitely. Well, our essential question, how to expand the learning community to the parents, uh, we, we thought about how are we using our school uh, virtual learning environment or school learning environment that happens to be digital and um, sending information out. Schools have had web pages for a long time, but what are schools doing to make, the com- make it a conversation that information is going two ways? And how are schools supporting uh, parents and community groups um, and making them even more part of the community? And uh, I used to be at HKIS where Justin was our, our leader in developing what we, uh, they entitled the My Dragon Net. And we'll, we'll get, let him get into details on that in just a moment. I thought I'd jump in and throw a, a, a couple of thoughts out there and as we look at how we can bring parents in uh, even more than we already do and one of the things that uh, struck me was that we just we really just start with a lot of the, the good work that schools already do um, there's not a school that I haven't worked at where there was a lot of effort to try to bring parents into the community through um, evening sessions and parent-teacher uh, student conferences and special event days um, so I think that's just one of the things that when we look at how can we electronically use our portals to expand that, that's a good starting place. And a second idea that I wanted to, to share was so much of what we're talking about in shifting our schools deals with 21st, 21st century learning and the skills that our information age employers are asking of our students as they move on to work and it, I think it makes a lot of sense that we do everything we can to invite in our corporate parents, our, our parents who are out there uh, in this information rich world and have them come in and, and talk to our students about the skills that they want, these communication skills, these analytical um, abilities and 
the uh, whole idea of students being able to know where to get information, how to process information, and then how to construct products that share their their thinking and their creativity. So I think that's a that's a maybe not so much a technical way to tie parents in, but just bringing them in and, and using their know-how um, to help our, our students and our staffs understand what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to shift to this new style of education. So, uh, Justin, maybe before we jump right into my dragon neck, why don't you uh, share what's been happening there in Hong Kong, which definitely does connect to uh, the potential of what uh, my dragon neck can do for a community. Sure thing, David, yeah. Uh, well, there's a little bit of background to, to this in Hong Kong. It sort of uh, snuck up on us a little bit here, but uh, essentially what's going on is there's a... So for anyone who was in Hong Kong during uh, the SARS uh, episode, which which David knows very well, uh, it's a bit of a deja vu, as everyone's been saying, because basically there's a virus out there, not quite as sort of deadly and uh, as SARS, I don't think, but uh, nevertheless something which... Uh, uh, is dangerous for uh, children in, in close environments like schools. So last night, very dramatically, almost at 12 o'clock, the EMB, the, the Educational um, Manpower Bureau, I think is the, is the, the long version of EMB anyway, they uh, cancelled all primary schools, elementary schools. So both our upper and lower primary will be off for two weeks, and uh, it's a, there's a potential there for... Uh, the secondary schools to also be cancelled um, in the next little period of time, uh, and it, it's it's an interesting phenomenon because it sort of come right before Easter break and just after the high school interim, where, where a lot of kids were sick anyway. So in a way, it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, I don't think it's going to get to the stage where we'll be doing virtual school um, because uh, as we we're chatting about just before the um, just before we hit the record button. Uh, it's three days before a holiday and then a few days after the holiday, so most likely it's going to be hard to get that uh, up and running. Uh, but I think uh, should we, if we needed to, it wouldn't be uh, such a big do because of uh, a lot of the work that went into thinking about these issues uh, during uh, the SARS crisis and the brief period of time school was cancelled then, um, and just in general the amount of uh, interaction and collaboration we do online just on a regular basis. Um, you know, day-to-day in Hong Kong, international school. So they've already canceled school for three weeks? Uh, two weeks, yeah, until oh, two weeks. the wow. 31st, yeah. Wow. And they don't uh, know so, much yeah, the about mandatory. the virus? Do they know much about the virus? Is there... To be honest, I'm not all up on the, the you know, the, detail, the medical details, um, but uh, I think they know, you know, how long it takes to four i think four children have died actually wow. in the last two weeks uh, from it so it's pretty dangerous uh for, for young people uh no adults have died of it as yet so and it's it's the time of the year in hong kong where everyone's kind of you know a bit sick anyway so i think that's part of the reason it sort of snuck up on us a little bit uh, yeah because there's been a slightly more dangerous uh, virus in amongst the regular cold and uh, flu that you see every year Wow, and the school's very well prepared for it. You know, they have uh, you know bucket loads of bleach on hand now, ever since stars ready yeah. to, to you know. Uh, I mean, Bruce Kalsch, the upper primary principal, joked that the uh, school's actually probably the most hygienic place to be because of the uh, the amount of bleaching and you know we have those uh, you know infrared detectors that detect everyone's temperature that come in. So in the in the high school now, every 
every every kid has to get the temperature read at home and a form side by their parent that their temperature is under 37.2 degrees or or whatever it is before they come into school so it's taken very seriously that's for sure wow yeah that's you know and then that goes right to what we're talking about tonight with just you know what happens when these happen and all of our schools i think are in the are, are kind of in the same spot you know uh especially here in asia we all I think schools here kind of started at all at the same time looking at what happens, especially with SARS and then again with the tsunami. It was what happens if if learning is interrupted and how do we start creating spaces that allow us to carry on school if something like this happens. And I think that's where a lot of our schools – I know for sure SAS, SARS was a big wake-up to say you know we have seniors that we might still need to get you know through credits and graduate um Mm. and i know a lot of the stuff you've been doing down there at hong kong so why don't we jump into that justin and kind of run us through uh what the system you guys are setting up there in hong kong it's an amazing system and you can run through a lot of the different ways that you can use your system to learn and how you're engaging parents in that system as well Sure, sure. Uh, well, basically, um, this is a little bit of background. So, since about 2005, I guess beginning of 2005, uh, we've been developing uh, the system we call uh, My Dragon at full time. Uh, although it did exist in various incarnations uh, before that, but since 2005, basically the vision has been to create an online uh, system, personalized electronic system to deliver curriculum. Uh, so, to develop curriculum, deliver curriculum, and to uh, provide a uh, electronic portfolio capacity for students and for um, for faculty. Um, the, the, the most developed portion of that system is what I would characterize as the the, uh, the the classroom and collaboration component. So when you're talking about learning, and it's all all the interaction that goes on between te- students individually, uh, between students and teachers. So in terms of groupware functionality, things like shared calendars. Um, resource storage and re- referencing resources, uh, you know, dynamic components like forums and, and blogs and that sort of thing. Uh, with the idea of, I mean, when it started out, there was no such term as Web 2.0. The term didn't exist. Uh, but we discovered as we were working with it that it really uh, exemplified Web 2.0 in the sense that it's a, it's a pretty flat environment. So in a sense, it replicates the structures of school. Uh, when you log on, it feels familiar because you see the list of your teachers or your classes there. Uh, you you know can see all the kids in your grade or you know whatever it is. But in another in another sense, it's uh, relatively flat because within that environment, anybody, whether they're a fifth grade student or you know an administrator, can create any number of groups, add them you know anybody into it. Anyone can create a blog and begin to publish. Uh, and so in that sense, it cre- creates a level sort of knowledge playing field, if you will. Uh, and uh, that's been uh, very, I think, winning for, for, for teachers and students here. Uh, as for parents, uh, in fact, there's no, we have not enabled any parent accounts as yet in my Dragonet. So the parent interactive piece has nevertheless, I think, increased because what it does is brings in all of the institutional data. So it brings in all of your... Uh, information from our student information system and makes it much easier for 
for um, teachers to stay in contact with parents through email, which is pretty Web 1.0, but nevertheless, is, is uh, it can be powerful. I mean, especially in a high school, middle school environment where a teacher might have, you know, 100 kids that they deal with on a daily basis, and so 200 potential parents, it's a, it's a pretty big uh, sort of client base, I guess. Uh, so it's vastly improved parent, you know, keeping parents in the loop in terms of pushing information out. Um, in our upper and lower primaries, there's a lot of great stuff happening with blogs. Uh, because it's all on one system, it uses the same login they use for everything else, so it's not too difficult. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff happening with uh, language learning, actually, in the and the lower primary uh, teachers are putting all kinds of resources and materials out there to help their um, help their you know kids with their parents listen to Mandarin. I mean, it's a, every single uh, student in our school, and I imagine an SAS too, has to learn uh, has to learn, learn Mandarin uh, yeah. up until grade five. Uh, but it's a difficult subject because it's uh, most of the people at home don't parents don't speak Mandarin. So how do you practice? Uh, and so they're uploading all kinds of resources and you know, interactive tools that the kids can, can practice on their own and practice with their parents. Uh, and blogs are also a, a big one for pushing information out to parents, but then adding in the, the, uh, the commenting ability as well. So parents being able to answer each other's questions on teachers' newsletter of the week type of thing. Is there some place – now, the URL is mydragonnet.com, right? Uh, mydragonnet.hkis.edu.hk. Okay, so hang on a second. I can put that in the chat room. So it's my my dragon net dot yep. hkis. Yeah, let me just – I can send you the URL. It's easier. All right, that would be, that'd be easier. Okay. Yeah. Is there some way – I mean we have some people in the chat room that are asking, is there is there some way to – that people can get in and take a look or do you have a – I mean I know you don't want 100 people in there looking around, but <laughs> – I mean, not that you care. It's just the system. But, I mean, is there somewhere where people can – I mean, they can go to the website. Are they going to be able to see anything there if they go to that website besides no, the actually, start because, page? because it's uh, just, just basically the start page, yeah. What I can do is I can create a, a guest account just for the – you know, for a couple of days to enable the people that are listening to to sort of poke around. So uh, let me do that right now. Uh, the, the, the I mean, the, the ability to create um, – you know, other accounts and to have other people poke around in there and collaborate with uh, with students and teachers in our school. That's the that's the difficult bit because part of the part of this I think the success of my dragon in HKIS with faculty and to a lesser extent with our students I think has been the fact that it has been a closed system. Uh, I think in the past there's been uh, and I'm sure this is something that uh, any uh, technology coordinator would empathize with uh, there's been difficulty with sort of the classic teacher web page uh, mm-hmm. dynamic because you know you have the star teacher that goes and sort of puts all their stuff online and they've got this great website that they spend hours on because let's face it it takes a long time to maintain those kinds of presences on the web and uh, in fact that can be a bit demotivating to other teachers in a way because god how can I possibly begin to compete with that you know uh, yeah. so in a way I, I think what my Dragonet did by being completely personalized in the sense that you log on, you just see your classes. Um, there's no sense of, of um, being compared with everybody else, you know? Yeah. So if you log on as a, as a kid, you just see your teacher's page. So you see Mr. So-and-so's, you know, calculus page, but you don't see the other calculus page. Uh, so it relates to your ongoing interaction with 
that teacher as opposed to just being this this general site. Um, but the downside to that, I would say, is is the fact that it's closed, uh, that you can't, you know, so, so if you're a teacher and you want to, to make your materials available to the world and work with, um, you know, other teachers around the world and developing curriculum and working on, on stuff and having, you know, collaborative projects, uh, it's, it's, uh, you can't do it because it's a locked system. So the way that we're dealing with that is uh, building in components like blogs that have the capacity to be public. So you can create a blog that's private if that's what you want, but you can also create a blog that's uh, public, and so we do have teachers working on on uh, you know inter school projects using the blog and and uh, you know cross posting on different websites, uh, and we're developing other tools such as a <clears throat> basically uh, the the new thing we're working on right now is a uh, what we call Dragon Media. So it basically the 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 purpose of the project is to create a YouTube for HKIS, so a, a complete media portal that will be completely public. Um, so the idea, I think, is not – we don't want to create one kind of uh, mammoth system, you know, something which is just does everything. Uh, my view is, is you create uh, tools that are perfect for the task. So if you have, you know, this media site, this YouTube for HKIS, it'll be able to be a fantastic media portal, offer all of those functionalities that you that are so compelling about YouTube in terms of – easily uploading media and sharing it with the world and being able to create a dialogue about what you're doing. Um, and uh, But then also offer the kind of safety of having it be a site just for the school so you don't have, you know, all the other random comments and stuff that you find uh, on, on completely public websites. Yeah. I don't know if you're looking in the chat room uh, for the Ustream. But Actually, I don't a- have the URL. Could you send the uh- – uh- yeah, if you go to uh, thethinkingstick.com slash on deck, you'll see yeah. the stream and the chat. Just make sure you shut the stream off, otherwise we get a repeat. Uh, but oh, there's sure. a there's a question that says, do you have any problem with parents and public blogs? Do you have a permission document or parents to sign? How are you, you dealing with, with that? that? You mean with kids that have blogs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think different teachers handle it in different ways. I, I think some teachers probably just go ahead and do it and, you know, just say a word or two. Uh, I think I know of other teachers that actually have uh, the kids sign something. Uh, in a way, the, the blogs are they're public in the sense that if you know the address to type in, you can get to it. But in another sense, they're a little less public because, I mean, unless you do have linking in from other sites, you, you know, you don't have the problem of being indexed quite as readily as you would on a public blogging site like Blogger. So in a sense, it's it's not as public as using a completely public site. Um, but as far as I know, we've not had any problems with uh, with kids and, and and having public blogs aside from any kind of aside from any issues from the kids themselves. You know. Yeah. So, but you don't have like a standard yeah. form that every kid has to sign before they start a before they start a blog. No. Well, I mean, it, it's covered by any acceptable use uh, policy. You know, in terms of it's their within yeah. each of the divisions. Has has their own, and, and uh, the the parents would have to sign off there. So it it is documented, and uh, at least coming f- from the upper primary in, in my my time there, so that is covered. Justin, I know our focus here of, is going to be. We do a lot of um, we do a lot of parent education in terms of yes. um, social networking and the you know the the possible pitfalls of the, of the internet mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and, and uh, younger children in particular being out there. I mean, my, my dragon in terms of how I describe it to parents, and especially parents of that age, is that it is, in a way, a 
a, a kind of testing ground for working on developing productive skills in you know on, in online social environments it's not designed to be you know facebook for hkis or by any means but it certainly i would say emulates some of those kinds of interactions in terms of having a a focus on identity um it being being a core part of the system and the profile being a core yeah. uh, part of the system and that sort of thing so i would say um i would say that we don't have a document that people sign but definitely uh, working with parents and working with uh, them on, you know, understanding and working with their children yeah. on developing appropriate behaviors and yeah. knowledge about uh, the Internet is, is important. One of the things the blog does is it does, in a sense, protect the kids by not revealing any last names, not showing pictures or any, you know, you know personal data. So it has, a very, it has pretty strict rules about, you know, the, the profile that s- students see when they log in versus the profile that, is revealed to person who just goes to the website without, you know, an actual login account. Yeah, and and here at Shanghai, you know, we've got blogs for our kids, and we don't have any document either. We just if a teacher feels that it, that they want the students to blog, we set up blogs and we go with, you know, we go for it. And we have had, we've actually had hardly any parent training about it. And the kids have been the ones that have gone home and trained the parents and have the parents looking at their blog and and uh, when they come in for student-led conferences, that's when we're using the blog as an e-portfolio platform. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the parents are introduced to it that way. So yeah. we have uh, Chris uh, Betcher just joined us from Australia. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Good night, Jess. How are you doing? I'm good. doing good. Good. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. This is great. Do you want to add, is, do you know anything like this down at the uh, down in Australia? You know, we're talking about creating, uh, you know, this kind of all-in-one network that allows parents to kind of see information flow, uh, you know, allow kids to interact with the web and trying to just figure out how this whole thing is working. Is there anything like that down in Australia that you've worked with? Um, just listening to it, and I'll just come in on the tail end of this. Uh, hi, Justin. Um, Hi. I'm just wondering, from the little bit that I just heard, um, I'm wondering how different it is to something like Moodle. Um, well, it's uh, in terms of Moodle, I mean, when we were first looking at this, we actually looked at Moodle. Um, Moodle, at least at that time, and to be honest, I haven't done it, in, you know, installed and used a recent version of Moodle. Moodle um, seemed to be more course-based, um, whereas the idea behind the system is it would provide, you know, pages for classes and pages for other groups right. that it would be fairly decentralized so um, you know the feature that is most often used by um, you know by teachers and students is probably the, the shared calendar which puts all of the data on one page or you know your RSS feeds of recent updates that just brings in all of your resources into one uh, you know into one RSS feed uh, and I would also say that the focus on the, the user identity has been kind of a core attribute of the system um, was yeah. uh, was was a kind of key difference with Moodle at least at the time that uh, that Moodle was developing. And, when we looked, Justin, at it. let's let's move you into the other two parts of what my dragon net is, and because earlier you were talking about resources and shared resources and the, the idea of not really becoming a MySpace kind of area, but uh, those both connect to the electronic portfolio and to the um, curriculum mapping tools that are also a part of uh, the MyDragonNet learning platform. Um, maybe if you could jump a, little, jump, a, jump a little bit into the curriculum mapping part of it 
and how, I guess in time, I know we were talking about that there would be parent access to some upper levels of that in the future. So back to our essential question of how to bring parents into the community, that they could, with with their ID and login, they could get in and can see what's being covered broadly in the, in the curriculum. And then mm-hmm. the whole idea of these um, students building these electronic portfolios that are all on a central server so they can start it like we did in the upper primary in fifth grade. And it's not a case of putting them on one server and then when you go up to the middle school having to switch and carry your, carry it maybe on a DVD or something like that. But it's all um, based there in the, on, the, on that uh, MyDragonet server and the kids can go through all their years and, and work through that same portfolio. And it's back to the whole point of having that one login to get to all these different... Um, aspects of the my dragonet platform and what are you mm. using the basis off of are you using powerschool or like are, do you have some you know administrative system that's using for a big database or is it all created from scratch uh well in terms of the the administrative data we use um sassy here at hkis oh, okay. but um uh, the my dragonet's also they're using my dragonet concordia actually in shanghai they call it Mike and Cordia, but uh, in their case, they uh, they have admin plus, so they upload CSV files. So in terms of how it runs, it runs on its own independent MySQL database. Okay. Uh, that uh, you could import data from you know any system. I mean, any student information system works in much the same way. It's basically mm-hmm. courses, classes, students, parents. You know, it's no great difference. Right. Although having said that, you know, schools have all kinds of interoperability problems, so I shouldn't make it seem so simple, but <laughs> it, it should be simple in theory. Yeah. yeah. So how much how do parents have any access at all to your system then, or not yet? Well, uh, in terms of uh, actuality, no. But if you looked at uh, upper primary, middle school, uh, they all have their kids' passwords. So in, in that sense, they do have access because. Uh, upper primary middle school they, they tend to, to log in under their uh, kids account to, to see what's going on uh, the capacity exists and we should be rolling that out next year um, the only stumbling block is finding a way to do it that is uh, appropriate and, and powerful for learning I think um, it shouldn't be one of these things where it's just a tool for the parents to just log in and see their kids grades right. you know what I mean so it yeah. shouldn't be like a mm. It's, that's especially true in the high school, and I suppose I should reveal that's my bias. I'm the high school technology facilitator, but uh, I think you know you want it to be a positive thing where the, kid, the parent is sort of working with their kid on their learning, as opposed to as you know, have you done your you know your what you know such and such assignments yet uh, that they happen to mm. read on the calendar and have no context for. Uh, I think that that's the challenge because, especially from faculty's perspective, because a lot of faculty make the make I think the accurate comment that, well, now that parents have access, suddenly I have two audiences that I'm putting information up for. Um, so I, I think uh, that's the challenge is is, is doing it in a way that uh, is is productive for learning, and I think we can get there. I think it's just a, I, I think it'll it'll really work. I mean, my ideal is when a parent rather than just seeing a bunch of data, you know, calendar entries and, and what have you, the first thing they see is what their kids are working on, like their own students' work, you know. So, you know, linking into to examples of what their kids are working on or, uh, you know, you know, comments from the teacher or the ability to, to engage in a dialogue as opposed to just being a, a kind of accountability mechanism, which is uh, 
I think what a lot of parents want. Yeah, uh, quite rightly, mm. but uh, making it a positive tool as opposed to just a spying <laughs> kind of mechanism. Yeah, how are you managing yeah. the blogs? Are kids setting up one blog and then? Uh, blogging about all of their classes or thinking in one space? Are they setting up a specific cl- a blog for specific classes? Uh, it's all over the map. You have some situations where a teacher sets up a blog and adds all the kids in as authors. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, you have situations where yeah, a kid sets up one blog. To be honest, um, I think it, you know the only time where you'd have one. You know, a kid blogging about multiple classes would be middle school, high school. I don't think there's that critical mass of teachers that are using blogs in this manner that that, that would even be relevant, you know, because most kids would have maybe one or two teachers that are using using blogs. So yeah. the idea of one blog per kid um, is a little bit more of a, a, you know, a dream than a reality. Although I think that from my perspective, that would be the ideal thing. Yeah. Um, and and, I, and the way that we've set the blog up in my dragon is that it should be easy to do that because you can have one blog and then the classes that you're in are sort of automatic tags. So you can just tag a post to saying this is related to my math homework or this is related to my social studies unit. And then the teacher can easily filter down to see the posts that are relevant. That's fantastic. Um, That's a nice feature. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, and the, you know the teacher can automatically go in, and then you know if, if if a kid makes a blog post related to their class, it appears right there on their class homepage, uh, and that that's been very powerful actually, and enables you know enable you don't have to go around looking for every blog, you don't have to maintain an external list, um, but I don't think there's a critical mass of, of kid people blogging to really get that whole metacognitive piece, because I mean the fantastic possibility of blogs is that you know that you can as a teacher go in and and uh, you know, see what kids are talking about in other classes, and there's fantastic, uh, you know, interdisciplinary yeah. possibilities there. Um, but I don't, th- I don't think we've realised that potential as yet. I mean, a lot of it has to do with teachers are just busy, aren't they? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think if I, I mean, it's well and good to say that, but I think if you go and if you told a lot of teachers that, they'd be like, God, I don't have time to go around looking at what the kids doing in science. I'm busy <laughs> enough, you know, dealing with their math, <laughs> yeah. their math, uh, their grading papers and math. Well. You, you know, I, I'm doing this Moodle course at the moment, so I'm a bit focused on Moodle at the moment. But like, as the the trainer guy pointed out, um, you know, if you, even just something as simple as a, um, you know, a forum that you might put in place, and you ask every kid in the class that you know for a part of your assessment, you got to move posts to the forum. Um, mm. You know, you multiply five posts by you know, 25 kids by two classes, and you're starting to get a lot of traffic. But the teacher has to trawl through in order to make judgments about what that kid's learning. Yeah. It well, really multiplies out really quickly. But that's great stuff, though, isn't it? I mean, I was working with a, a middle school faculty member the other day, and she's got this wiki going with her, one of her, with her science classes, and she said, I can't deal with this. There's just too much there. I mean, how am I, I can't – I cannot possibly read the whole thing, for one thing. Uh, any, and even if I could, it's really hard to know, you know, which kids posted what and how to track it all down. And I said, well, I mean, that's a good problem to have, you know, in yeah. a way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have? True. Is there wikis built into, or was there something else? No, no, we don't have wikis. Um, that's been a struggle because our, what my ideal would be to integrate an external wiki tool uh, rather than build one because yeah. uh, you know. But I'm not that impressed with any of the ones out there. I mean, we I have know. people using Wet Paint right now. I think wiki for me is is there's not a there's not a really perfect solution right now. I don't think the future is in people learning wiki markup. I think that's I mean, I can see there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to be happy doing that, but you're never going to get like mass buy-in on wiki markup. No, so, uh, I think 
I love WebPaint. Uh, WebPaint.com, I think, is probably the best wiki out there, especially when you're talking about not having to deal with wiki uh, language. I, I just wish yeah. we had like 36 or 37 different WebPaint wikis going here at our school before got they got blocked. Yeah, and yeah, it really took our steam out of us here in, in China for sure. But I still think they're, you know, for ease of use, and teachers found it so easy to get in and start using. I, I think it's the best program out there at this point. Yeah. Well, I wish there was some kind of uh, tool you could buy and install on your own servers that was as good as um, as WebPaint. Yeah. Uh, as a kind of, you know, a server-based tool you could install. Because, I mean, you guys in China, that would obviously be very powerful. But um, I just think Wiki has has a lot of potential for great stuff. I mean, if you're talking about parents, to go back to that original point, and you know, David rightly points out that uh, the parents we have in our communities, especially in private international schools, is just fantastic, and it really is seldom used um, to its full potential. But you know, the potential of Wikis as your school community website. Yeah, and making the school community website a really malleable tool that any parent can go in and and you know drop stuff in. I mean, I'm embarrassed, frankly. Every year, you know, we have these new parent meetings mm-hmm. uh, the, in the beginning of the year, uh, and you know, all these uh, you know American or Australian you know parents come in and where they sit down in the the marina club or something, and they get introduced to Hong Kong and the PFO parent-faculty organization hands in this packet of information about Hong Kong. Well, why shouldn't that be online, you know, that any parent can go in and post great new tips about, you know, I found this or that and uh, and make parents, uh, you know, part of that conversation. But uh, we, haven't, we haven't quite got there yet. But yeah. I, I think the tool will, will come out probably yeah. in the next year or so. Yeah, I do too. And just to let people know, if you go to webpaint.com, there's actually a link for educators and you can actually get uh, ad-free wikis, ads, yeah. yeah, which is fantastic. They they launched that right as we got blocked. I was working with WetPaint at that time <laughs> to get ads off of the sites because our we were you know a lot of the uh, wikis from our school were hitting the front page, and we were like, look, we want to do this, but there's ads there, and some of the ads you know are a little you know they're Google ads, and uh, so we talked with them, and they started taking ads off. And then we got blocked. <laughs> so they went ahead and, and opened up their education version with ad-free. And they, they're starting to build a real good community for educators too, just around using wikis and wikis in education. So it, it really is a good site. Uh, but, you know, back to the blogging thing too. I was just thinking, you know, what what are you finding blogs that are private and blogs that are public? You know, one of the things about blogging is making these connections and making connections within your school, but also making connections outside of the school. And are you finding that kids are opening up their blogs to be public to make those international connections or make those connections at the school? Or are most of them staying private at this time? And if blogs are staying private, do we still call them blogs? Or is that, you know, that's the difference between Moodle and blogs to me. I mean, Moodle is very much a wall garden. And if we're going to keep these kids in wall gardens, is that really what we want? Or how are you – what are you kind of seeing with your system? Because it sounds like you're kind of allowing kids to choose what they want to do. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think I think you definitely still call it a blog. I, I don't I don't see why you can't call it a blog. Um, although, yeah, you, you know, you could make the argument either way. And I think there's a place for both, you know. Uh, I, I think a lot of our private blogs will tend – you know, will be like a faculty blog. Okay. Like if there's, you know, faculty members discussing issues in school or that kind of thing, you know, you want you don't necessarily want that to be, be uh, public. Uh, but I would say most of the blogs, probably 90% are public, and that's maybe just because it's the default option. You know, it's like mm. you can choose public or private, and by default they're public. 
Um, and there are some blogs that will be, and I, I think it's probably teacher-driven. Some blogs will be just the class talking to each other or maybe two classes talking to each other. Um, uh, sometimes you'll get the, you know, the international connections, but that yeah. would be something that the teacher would have to set up, I would think, uh, rather than, than uh, you know, and, and encourage. I don't think that I haven't seen that happen spontaneously, yeah. basically. It's um, interesting what you say there about Moodle and blogs and the idea of a walled garden because I thought the same thing. But um, what I've learnt is that the um, blogging module in Moodle actually has the option to make the blogs visible to the World Wide Web, which I didn't realise. But you go into the the, uh, the administration section and you can choose at what level you want to um, allow those blogs to be viewable. Yeah. Can, either just by the person themselves or the course or the entire um, site or to the web. But double-edged sword on that is um, blogging module doesn't support commenting. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not a blog. Well, I would say it's not a blog if there's no comments. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah it's just a journal. Yeah. It's a journal in that case. What, have you, have you played uh, with I'd the I'd blogs like to see them. in Moodle a lot? Do you like them? I mean, we've set up WordPress because I just looked – I took one look at them and said, no, this isn't blogging. This isn't what I want. What I'd love to see is is for uh, WordPress to become integrated into Moodle. I think that would be a really nice combination. Yeah, that would be good. Because I think there's some, strange, there is some really powerful that, things. Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead, sorry. I, I was just going to say that because, uh, um, I mean, uh, I, I've been sort of observing Moodle from afar for a while, but um, the school and that has quite a big Moodle install there. and um, So I've been away for four days on this Moodle administrators course with um, Julian Ridden, who's probably one of the um, most knowledgeable Moodle guys, uh, certainly in Australia, if not the world. Um, and... What this guy doesn't know is just amazing. <laughs> like what he knows, what he doesn't know is is is, is nothing. Um, but when you dig into Moodle and you realise subtle little things you can do by dropping in modules and and making subtle changes to uh, not to the code but just to the way the modules plug together, uh, it's incredibly flexible. Way 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 more than I expected. Yeah. No, I, I I like Moodle for you know that classroom. I think it I think it's a good starting place. You know, if if you're a school and you're looking to you know where do we start? I think Moodle is a good start. It's easy. It kind of runs itself. At this point, it's been around long enough now that it's very it's very stable for an open source yeah. piece of software. And I mean, most well, they schools, released version one. Go for it. They released version 1.9 the other night, uh, so it's uh, two days ago they released 1.9, and um, it's uh, it's got a lot of really good improvements in it. Um, yeah, that's what I specifically heard. Specifically, the way that it's, it's actually integrating, well, it's faster for a start, it's way, way faster, mm-hmm. um, and it's integrating the, um, it, there's always been the facility to give kids a task or an activity or a, you know something to do inside Moodle, and then get them to submit their work directly to it, and the teacher then can, can deal with that work online and grade it. And then the grades go into a grade book, but the grade book's just been supercharged. It's um, oh, that's great. It's very, very powerful now. Yeah. So um, the other thing I just wanted to mention on that, uh, the the school I'm at at the moment, we have a student management system, which is the back end database where we where basically everything happens, um, and it's pretty ordinary. So we're in the f- process of phasing it out in in favour of a, another system called Edumate. Now, I'm certainly not trying to sound like I'm doing an ad for Edumate, but it's a really impressive piece of software. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of our schools are, right? Not 
most of our schools, we don't have a, you know, a Justin Hardman sitting there that's, you know, doing all this stuff for us. So we're trying to find programs and kind of stick them together. So what we've done at our, at our school right now is we've got Moodle and then we've got the WordPress blogs. And what we're trying yep. to, what we're trying to do for next year is make that a single login. You know, we don't have somebody yeah. like Justin sitting at our school that's going to do all this really cool stuff, and we don't. You know, we're not hiring programmers to come in and do it. I wish we could because it's a. It, it, I've had the opportunity to actually get in my Dragonet. I talked to David last year, and there's another podcast on On Deck that you can listen to, and David and I actually go through my my Dragonet. And have been inside, and it is an amazing program. And I know since then some of the things they've been working on. And even last year at the Learning 2.0 conference, I was uh, Justin came up here, and I was peeking over Justin's shoulder, and I, I I said to Justin, I was like, you know, what would be cool is if you had some kind of like media site where you could have your own YouTube. And about that time, he pulls it up. He was working on the coding and kind of showing other people what they were <laughs> going with it. So they are doing amazing stuff down at HKIS in this front for sure. And it's you know again you know back to the start of our show. A lot of our schools here in Asia specifically are looking at ways to get, you know, ways to do this because you don't know when we're going to have a, a SARS outbreak or a virus that shuts down the school for two weeks like they are in Hong Kong right now. And so it is something that I think is real and that schools, if you haven't started to look at some way to carry on class or to have some kind of online com- component where parents can be involved, where kids can be involved, that you're a little bit behind the times at this point. Mm. Don't you yeah, think it's amazing though that 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 in I mean the education market globally is a pretty big market, yeah. you know, and schools while we're all different and we all have slightly different needs and we we all fine tune what we do, we all pretty much do the same thing, you know, within certain parameters, and yet no one's really nailed this yet. There hasn't been a commercial product that can take the needs of a school and actually fine-tune it into a package which does everything. There are some packages that do some things well but not others, and everything seems to be a compromise. I'm just astounded mm. that nobody's really nailed this yet. But you know it's the same thing in, in industry, right? I mean, if you go into industry, um, you know, everyone hates SAP, but all companies have to use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you find the same thing every every segment. You go, I know a lot of people who work in journalism. They all hate their whatever system they have to use to to work on their articles and yeah. you know and publish them to the web. It's sort of a universal, and it's a. I think it's just. Uh, I think any system, it, no matter how similar the needs are between organizations, uh, it's the subtle things that make it big deal. You know, and, and those subtleties yeah. are, are are hard to. It's, you can create a system that's infinitely flexible, but then it'll be too hard to use, you know? So, yeah, you know, yeah. the reason why Dragonet works for us, I think, is because it's kind of customized for us, um, yeah. you know, and our needs. Uh, although, of course, it could be used quite well in other institutions as well. Uh, but as soon as you're building a system uh, that's, that's meant for a kind of generic audience, generic school, uh, then you're forced to make all kinds of compromises, and maybe that system would be ideal for a particular environment. But uh, you know, you change a few things around, and all of a sudden, people look at it and they go, "I don't know what this is." Yeah, you know, this yeah. isn't what well, we're it's about. Even it's though, even though with a few that. changes, it would be perfect. <laughs> it's interesting you should say that because the school, two schools I've been at now, where we've bought. Um, for quite a lot of money, uh, a, a package, an off-the-shelf package, which is supposed to do everything. It's supposed to integrate all of the tasks that happen within a school. And yeah. 
And in both cases, ultimately, we've gone in and customized the code and made changes mm-hmm. to the databases and switched the tables around and eventually customized it to the point where it, it's no longer an integrated system. Things don't talk to each other. You've got multiple logins and it just becomes a mess again. In fact, the one at the school I'm at right now, the people who sold that system to us essentially don't want us as customers anymore because they can't recognize it as their own product. <laughs> they just want us to go away. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the lesson here is it's never going to get easy. You know, it's, it's not as if no. there's going to be a time where there's a magic system that does it all. You know, it, it's always going to be a struggle, but it's a it's a struggle worth making. And I know Jeff, you say, well, you know, not every school can get um, you know, get a Justin Hardman to do everything. But I mean, there's two things I'd like to say to that. One is that um, all, all the work that I do rests on the the fine work of a lot of the other technical people here in terms of. You know, our, our accounts management systems and what have you and our web servers. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, but the other thing is I think it's entirely possible for for schools to, to hire programmers and hire people to, to do things for them. Uh, I mean, the fact is it's getting – programming is so high level now. There are so many things you can depend on. I mean, the guy that's, uh, that's, uh, that I'm working with that we hired for a short period of time that's working on this, this YouTube for HKIS, this media site, uh, I just looked over his shoulder today and he'd done a thing where you can post a YouTube URL and, uh, and it just pulls in all of the information using the, the, the Google API. You know, he did that in about two hours. That's just you know, crazy. And it's, not, and it's just incredible. And it, all these things are possible. You just need to do them. But I think it's very alien for schools to, to think this way. I agree. To think the schools think of themselves as needing to create their own learning environments. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying every school should do what we're doing. I, I, that would not be a recommendation I would make. But certainly, you know, you can create your own little things. I mean, getting students involved is 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 important as well. I mean, students are a great source of, uh, you know, not only like consultation on these issues because they use these tools all the time every day, but, you know, creating them. You know, we have uh, student teams here that build all kinds of web systems that are used by other students and by faculty. And, you know, you can get students sort of co-creating your educational uh, experience online. That's a great point. That's a great point. Justin, I was going to jump in on that, that point too to say I just think having spent those years at, at Hong Kong International School and looked at and looking at the curriculum mapping and looking at um, electronic portfolios you know we're we're talking about just one aspect of this and it's just so worth the hiring of that programmer to come in because it, it carries over to so many different areas the work that you've been able to do and as everyone's been saying, to individualize it for the different needs. So you, a lot of what you've been talking about is the high school and middle school, but back, uh, well, there at HKS, down in the upper primary, they're doing electronic portfolios, they're doing curriculum mapping, and they're doing classroom management. And you would usually go, well, uh, kids that young aren't doing electronic portfolios or um, – uh, your, your curriculum mapping system might be different than what you do at a department-based high school. How are you going to get around that? And you, and you go to the, the, the company that sold you, that curriculum mapping company, uh, and it just isn't going to work out. So I, I, I just from, from experience and working from you and the other uh, leaders there at, at Hong Kong, I just think it is so worth um, – hiring that programmer and potentially uh, going out and finding something like you have created there and trying to get hold of it like uh, you all worked out with uh, Concordia. But I just think it's worth it. And for the listeners, uh, we'll see. uh, Justin and I wrote an article uh, a couple years ago in Learning and Leading about the MyDragonet system and and, and what it came out of of, and how it got started and it really designed to meet the needs of uh, the users. 
and we'll see if we can put that up on uh, on the on deck site. But the, it's for me as an instructional technologist, the the, the most uh, useful part was that curriculum mapping tool because we did look at a couple other companies and what they offered, and they couldn't come close to what Justin and his um, uh, cohort w- were designing and and and. Uh, that became such a tool that people used every day, and they and, and they didn't have excuses. They're, well, it won't do this, and it won't do that. Well, if it didn't do what you want, well, let's let's bring Justin down and let's talk about it, and let's see if we can make it the way we want it to be. So it takes that barrier away from us moving forward in what we want to do with our curriculum. So yeah, no, that's just fantastic. a real yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's because the the curriculum, the management development portion in a way comes out of the and is intrinsically connected to the the classroom piece right it's not some separate exercise that you you undergo you know you don't have to you know i I was i'm amazed it it sounds me really uh i went when i was at urcos a few months ago um the rubicon uh people you know took me up to their suite and you know, I kind of went in a little bit, you know, surreptitious. I want to see what Rubicon's up to. But it's still the same old game, you know, this website that you go into. And partly I think it's just the customers for those. The customers for those systems tend to be administrators who think on that level, right? They're thinking about how is our curriculum best serving. And it's not based in the real on-the-ground experience of teachers and students. So, you know, we have the bits that, that suit us. And, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have all of those we don't necessarily, in my dragon, have as many curriculum mapping tools per se that you'd find in a lot of curriculum mapping products. But then I would say we have more curriculum, you know, yeah. online. Yeah. So well, it's a kind of a t- tension there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and start our links uh, for the end of the show. And the first link that I'm going to, to put in is I wrote uh, a while back now, I wrote a planning, uh, planning for your 21st century technologies that talks a lot about a lot of the things we've been talking tonight. And basically, it's a PDF document. Uh, you can go to the website. I put the link in the chat room, and we'll, we'll also link it to the show notes. But it's a PDF document that you can download. I'm still working on it. It's not complete by any means. But then again, with technology changing so fast i don't think you can call anything complete but it just kind of looks at you know where do you get started what are some of the tools out there how do you build this how do you get this started in your school and hopefully it'll help you uh but that's my link and i i hate to put a link to something that i wrote but i think it's a pretty good document to get started it's been downloaded quite a few times already so i'll throw that out there as just maybe a place to start you know if you're thinking about how do we get started what do we need to be considering you know how should these systems work for from a student perspective a parent perspective and a, a school perspective, and I kind of go through that in the document. So that's my link for the show. David, do you want to go next? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a very good link. Uh, that's a very good link, uh, Jeff. Actually, we're doing the technology planning process at the moment, and I printed out your uh, PDF for for the other members of our team as a kind of uh, exemplar to to work from. Oh, thanks. Yeah, de- definitely. And and one of the things that. I liked in that document as well that you brought in the library media specialist, and, and they're just such a big part of the team when we look at uh, information and co- uh, communication literacy. So, yep, very, very helpful. And, and I'll dovetail into that. Uh, a fellow who's got a blog called Jonathan's Blog, uh, he titled one of his posts, Setting Up a VLE as in Virtual Learning Environment, and his plan to how can he connect his uh, students, teachers, and parents uh, and make this virtual learning uh, and communication environment, and it, it, it really dovetails into to what we've been talking tonight. And that there are other folks out there searching for these uh, 
for these answers and and maybe struggling a bit with some things that you have to go and buy off the shelf that aren't going to quite work the way you want them to. Yeah. Uh, Justin, do you have a link that you can share with us? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm, I had it last like last time, and I'm trying to run around and find it on my uh, my delicious here. So uh, maybe can Chris, if I don't know if you have something, can go first as I search through my list. Sure, sure. Um, oh well, the main one I want is um, from Kim Cafino. But just before I get to that, I just uh, seeing you mentioned yours, Jeff. I want to mention something on mine. Um, uh, Clay Burrell, our mate Clay, got married last weekend. And uh, you streamed the whole thing out to the web, which was a really interesting <laughs> thing to do. Um, and uh, I guess there are people listening to this who maybe watched the thing. But um, in the chat room, in the back chat, while the back channel, while the wedding was going on, um, somebody said we should start a, a voice thread to uh, wish them congratulations. So I quickly whipped over to voice thread, knocked up a little. Um, chance for people to leave a message for the happy couple and uh, if anyone's listening to this and, and knows Clay and Yun Jong, his uh, beautiful bride they might like to pop over to betcherblog.com look for the post called the the uh, the, the, the uh, something about two diamonds <laughs> in just a sec uh, I wrote the joining of two diamonds which uh, if you listen to the ceremony will probably mean something to you but um, yeah pop over there and leave them a comment I think there's about um, I don't know 20 odd people at the moment who have left a, a voice comment for them so That's it's, cool. it was a nice little thing and I know Clay really appreciated it so go and add some stuff the um, the real link that I wanted to mention was uh, a fabulous post by Kim Cofino, um called libraries and edtech like peanut butter and mm. jelly and it was actually her her reflections on the ECIS conference in Germany. Um, and it's quite a long post, so I'm not even going to try to summarize it. But um, she was just musing on this idea of um, librarians and uh, tech coordinators or tech, tech um, integrators are kind of like peanut butter and jelly because they're fabulous on their own. But wow, when you put them together, you get something special. Um, they're def- definitely different and definitely valuable outside the time they spend together. And um, a PBJ sandwich is really at its best when enveloped by some exceptionally good bread. In this case, the bread is the curriculum. So it's a really interesting post, and she goes on and makes some fabulous, fabulous points. So um, that's my pick for the week. Great. Can you send me that link real quick, and I'll throw it in the chat room? Uh, yep, sure. Okay. And uh, Justin? Yes, yes. So I've actually got a couple of links here. Let me bear with me. I'll send them to you through Skype because the okay. chat room is not uh, loading for me for some reason. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there's two here. The first one is uh, this kind of relates to what sort of what we were talking about before, and how do you get all these systems to plug together? There's a lot of initiatives out there um, by uh, academic organisations, by consortiums of business and academia that are trying to solve this problem of how do you uh, how do you create online systems that work well together and you know and serve the communities that they're designed for. Uh, this one, the E framework, is a consortium of um, I don't know if you've heard of JISC. It's a UK-based uh, uh, research group and a number of uh, government research groups which tries to develop what they call a, a framework for developing systems. So the idea being you don't create one system that does all of your everything. You, you can get um, you know parent modules, you can get communication modules, you can get your assessment modules, you can get your uh, blogging modules, and they all plug together because they can all talk to each other. And I think really this is the future for how we're going to build our in, – in schools build our um, – our, our, our online learning environments and online communication environments. So it's pretty technical, but it's it's worth poking around. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, the uh, I, ICS uh, is pretty good as well. I'll, I'll see if I can find that link. 
the second one is a uh, is a, a bit of is a bit of a joke in a way. Uh, it's an art. It's an old article from like I think 1996 or something, or is it no 1997? And it's talking about how how technology can be used to build, forge links between school and home. And it's 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 refreshing to read this article because it's really talking in the same language that we talk about now in terms of how do you connect with parents in school. Um, but they're talking about using things technology like voicemail, cable television. And uh, near the end of the article, they talk about the potential for the internet, um, and I, I just think it's it's kind of a, it's funny to go back. And this is only ten years ago uh, to talk about the kinds of tools that that you know had potential, uh, and it's it's amazing to think really how far we've come, but also how basically how we can get uh, excited about things that really have don't really serve the purpose. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, interesting in this article they talk about voicemail as the most most poten- the, the technology with the highest potential to to forge links between home and school. Uh, but I mean, how how true is that? Not true at all. Uh, so you know, we can we can get excited about things that don't won't necessarily end up becoming uh, the primary way we do something. So uh, I think the lesson there is, you know, there's there's no for the stuff you just kind of have to uh, be constantly aware of what's out there and constantly trying out new things to see what works because technology moves faster than uh, than we can plan for I think yep no and that's, you know, Justin, that's I don't know whether you I don't know whether I guess this is sort of pretty much everyone knows about this but uh, archive.org the Wayback Machine yeah yeah Wayback um, yeah yeah, yeah. I, it's funny you should be talking about you know how things have changed. I stumbled across Wayback Machine again the other day, and I hadn't looked at it for Especially a while. Especially with this Elliot Spencer thing in New York. Everyone knows about the Wayback Machine now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I went back uh, just out of curiosity and looked at you know micro, Microsoft's very first web page, and it just looks like a really bad school assignment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, everybody, for dropping by tonight. Again, you can uh, check out Justin's blog at newworldnewschool.com. Thank you, Justin, again, for stopping by and sharing what you're doing down there in uh, Hong Kong. You can check out Chris Belcher's blog at belcherblog.com. David, as always, at lessonslearned.edublogs.org. And uh, thank you guys for a great episode and stopping by. Chris, thanks for Skyping in. Appreciate it. And David, or Justin, thanks. Uh, We finally got you on, got past all the technical issues and got you on the show. So we appreciate it. And no Jeff, let me jump in for next week here. Yeah, guys, thanks for showing up. And Justin, thanks for sharing. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, just to share for next week, we're a couple weeks in a row here. Um, March 20th, uh, Jeff Nugent, who is an instructional technologist at Virginia Commonwealth University, will be getting up early in the morning and joining us to discuss the question, how do adults learn? As many of us are uh, instructional technologists or educational technologists working with our uh, faculty, how are they? How do they learn uh, in a very different way than than our children? So that's something we're going to focus on. Great, and we're looking at two weeks' time to, that we'll be at the Iricos conference, and we're looking to do a live show from the Iricos conference. So if you're going to be at the Iricos conference, I don't know, Justin, are you going? Yeah, yeah, I'll be down there. Great. We're, I think we're going to do a live show from Iricos, so I'll hook up with you once we're there, and we'll try to get that going. Oh, that'll be fun. Great. And, yeah, if you're around, you, uh, we're going to have a session, a podcast session, where you can stop by, and we're going to do a live stream. So if you're at the Ericos Conference, nice. find us. Uh, look, in the, look in the planner or look on the bulletin board, and we'll post it somewhere and make sure we get it out to everybody and know where we're going to do that live stream from. So thanks again, everybody, and uh, let's keep shifting those schools. Thank you. Thanks, right. guys. Night, everyone. 
Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris. Hey, Justin. Yeah. Justin, still there. Um, yeah, if yeah, you still can there. go into your Skype, yeah, if you can go into your Skype contacts and add me as a contact, so I can know when you're online, so I can chat I with you. I thought I had already done that. I'll, I'll do it again. I keep seeing you as a question mark. <laughs>